I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. You know, anyone who's ever visited BuzzFeed knows how much we love numbered lists. Give me 10 ways to spice up my chicken recipe or the top five police procedurals on television and I am in. And based on all the clickbait data, so are most of you. Let's face it, we love structure. We work nine to five, we sleep six to eight hours a night, and we love the Beatles eight days a week. And when we're dealing with creativity, we like structure even more because creativity is mostly so loosey-goosey. Oh, just sit down and, you know, create, tell a story, write a song, paint a watercolor. Create. For some of us, that free-flowing, laissez-faire approach to life is just fine. Some of us like to just throw the dice and see what happens. Get in the car, see where the road takes us, turn on the microphone and blah, blah, blah. You've got a podcast. But for some of us, dare I say, most of us, even when we're being creative, we want to have boundaries, limitations. We want structure. That's why we have three-quarter time. That's why we have iambic pentameter. That's why we have three acts. Structure gives us a defined space in which to create, and it gives us something to put our backs up against when the idea of just opening up a document and starting to write becomes terrifying. But structure has a benefit for our audience as well. They know about how much time that movie is going to run, one and a half to two hours. They know that an episode of television is going to take up 30 or 60 minutes. They know that a pop song is going to run about three to four minutes long. But regardless of time, it's about the comfort of expectation. When we know what to expect from something, we get comfortable, we relax, and we're receptive to the surprises. Oddly, structure doesn't inhibit creativity, it frees it. Because within a set structure, we can do anything. It gives us a box, sure, but we can put whatever we want in that box. And when we adhere to structure, we know how to build something, be it story, a poem, or a song. Sometimes when I talk about structure, I get pushback. But if I write a story according to structure, isn't it just a formula? Can't anyone write it? If I'm just doing what everyone else does, I'm just filling in boxes. Actually, no. Structure is not formula. Think of it like a house. If you wanted to build a house and you met with your architect and she was like, hey, look, everyone puts doors and windows on houses. I don't want to do that. I want to do something unexpected. So this house... No doors, no windows, four stories, no stairs. Ha! You'd be like, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're fired. Structure and stories exist for a reason because in order to build a story that people can access, that they can walk through, that they can air out with windows that open and are made of glass, that they can traverse a staircase to get to the different levels, you have to obey certain rules. And once you acknowledge and accept those rules, you can do whatever you want. You can make a spiral staircase, put in an elevator, or as happened in my house, which was built in 1871, you can put in these shallow little stairs made for the feet of people whose feet were much, much, much tinier than the average nowadays. You can paint the walls different colors. You can do a wild interior design that references African desert animals or do a minimalist Scandinavian thing. But you've got to have doors. You've got to have windows. You've got to have stairs. 
So if you're feeling resistant to structure, it's okay, but that doesn't mean you can go without it. I mean, you can, but if you do, you're making it harder for the people who want to live in your house to get inside of it, to experience it fully. Structure is not formula. Structure doesn't inhibit your creativity. Structure doesn't make you a hack. It makes you an architect, and there's no shame in that. So we're going to get started talking about three-act structure and the seven anchor scenes, and we're going to be all buzzfeedy about it. Just keep in mind, as I've said before, that this is not the only structure that will work. This particular structure is suited best to novels and movies. If you're doing something shorter, you'll maybe want a one-act structure, and that's okay. Remember that we're using this structure because it is ubiquitous, and we have access to lots of movies that use it, which enables us to study and understand it. But remember the four basic tenets of structure. It launches the conflict, it escalates the conflict, it climaxes the conflict, meaning someone wins, and it resolves the conflict, showing us how the world has changed. And remember that the world has changed can mean anything from our protagonist changing internally and seeing the world differently to the world has literally changed. In Roxanne, C.D.'s internal world changes when he gathers up the courage to tell Roxanne he loves her, despite the big nose that he thinks will make love impossible for him. In The Lord of the Rings, the hobbits save the Shire from the evil encroachment of Mordor, but once the battle is done, the elves leave Middle-earth and go to the Grey Havens. So this week, we're going to talk in general about how the three acts work. Next week, we're going to dive deeper into the seven anchor scenes. And once we're done with that, we're going to analyze the movies I listed on the website in the How Story Works course text list to solidify these concepts. Link to the course text list is in the show notes. A story needs to start with a central narrative conflict. Remember that? PGAG, protagonist with a goal and an antagonist with an opposing goal. So the first thing you need to know, whether you're creating a story or critiquing one, is who the protagonist is and what her goal is, and who the antagonist is and what his goal is. The three acts and the seven anchor scenes will stem from that. They will track the central narrative conflict, showing how it escalates throughout the story, and then landing with a climax, the final battle in which a winner is decided, and finishing with a resolution, a scene or series of short scenes that shows us how the world has changed for better or worse. And also remember, it doesn't matter who wins, only that the conflict is resolved. So with that in mind, let's start with a big picture overview of the three acts. The first act launches the story and escalates it to the point where the protagonist makes an active choice to engage with the conflict and the antagonist. The second act continues to escalate the conflict, making things worse and worse, challenging the protagonist more and more and making things difficult. The first response the protagonist is going to have to any conflict is to do things the way they have always done things. We'll see that principle in action when we talk about a few good men. But this time, they won't be able to win doing things the comfortable way. The second act is about putting pressure on the protagonist, showing them that they must change their ways in order to succeed. The second act is where the stakes get raised, consequences of a potential loss grow greater, and our second act ends when the protagonist again makes an active choice to try harder, be bolder, step outside their comfort zone, and take a risk. The second act is usually the longest of the three. The third act brings us into battle. Everything moves faster, the conflict comes to a head, and the final battle is underway. A winner is decided during the climax, and then we move into the resolution where we see how the world has changed. The third act tends to be a bit shorter than the rest. 
You know how when you're on a roller coaster, it takes a while for the cars to climb all the way up the incline, but then they zoom back down? That's how the third act works. Now, you may have noticed some of the language I use when talking about the first and second acts. Each of them ends, ideally, with an active choice from the protagonist to push the conflict ahead. Every time the protagonist makes that choice, their relationship with the conflict changes. It escalates. That's where the act turns are, when the protagonist's relationship with the conflict changes. All right, let's get a little more specific now. The first act sets the stage. We open with a protagonist with a goal, a protagonist who wants something active, specific, personal, and achievable. If you're building a story, you need to hold your protagonist's goal up against the ASPA model and make sure it complies. If you're critiquing a story, like inspecting a house, you're looking for ASPA, and if it's not there, you need to ask why. It doesn't necessarily mean that the story isn't working. Remember Kate from French Kiss who had a goal to make Charlie love her again? That wasn't really achievable, but since we didn't want her to win in the end, it works. But there are other instances where a goal that's vague, impersonal, passive, or not achievable will be the problem with the story, and identifying that will help you figure out if it works or not. So don't presume that just because something in a story doesn't tick a particular box that it's automatically wrong. If it works, try to figure out why it works. And if it doesn't, go back to narrative theory and you'll find out why. So you start with the central narrative conflict, which rests upon the mutually exclusive goals of the protagonist and antagonist. If you're still not clear on that, go ahead and listen to the How Story Works episodes about conflict again. Once you've got the central narrative conflict concept down, you can start working on structure. The structure starts with the launching of the central narrative conflict. That's what's accomplished in the first act. The first act sets the story in motion. We find out who the protagonist is, what she wants, and why she wants it. We bump up against the antagonist, what he wants, and why it's mutually exclusive to the protagonist's goal. That conflict should be launched as early as possible within the story, although often we end up waiting a while for the story to establish everything, establish the setting, the characters, the world, the tone. It is my personal feeling that most stories should be able to launch the conflict and establish the world and characters at the same time. Tell your story walking. But that doesn't always happen. So for those of you out there critiquing stories, keep that in mind and see if you can mark where the story should start as opposed to where it actually starts. The second act raises the stakes and escalates the conflict. Maybe this is where the antagonist starts to personally pursue the protagonist, making things harder. Maybe this is where the protagonist discovers that the woman he's been secretly in love with is his antagonist, the one who's blocking him from his goal. It is entirely possible for a protagonist to not know who the antagonist is well into the second act. As long as the influence of the antagonist blocking is felt, we don't need to know who the antagonist is right away when we're critiquing. The audience doesn't need to know. The writer, you need to know. But maybe the protagonist just wants a promotion in the first act, but in the second act, he realizes that getting that promotion means beating out the woman he's been secretly in love with for that position, and then she'll move away and take another job in Europe, leaving him forever. That's an escalation. He's not just taking the job away from her. He's creating a situation where she'll move away and he'll maybe never see her again. Or maybe a detective is trying to solve a murder, but in the second act, she discovers that the murderer might be her husband. That's an escalation. Things get worse. Does she continue on her path to find the murderer, even if it means that her husband goes to jail? 
These kinds of choices are great fodder for stories. When we make our protagonists make tough choices, we're tightening up the narrative and escalating the conflict. And then finally, we get to the third act. The protagonist has pushed forward despite all complications, consequences, and escalations. The final battle begins and a winner is decided. And now the world has changed. Our protagonist has paid a price for pushing onward. He loses the job but wins the love of his life. Or the husband goes to jail for murder and she solves the case but loses the life she had before that. In a lot of stories, a win can be bittersweet. There's a price to be paid but the price is worth it. Or maybe it's not. You know, there's no rule against a bummer ending. Maybe the detective chooses to protect the husband and not solve the murder. She keeps her life as she knew it, but it will never be the same again. And that's how acts work. Next time, we're going to break acts down further into the seven anchor scenes, the big moments that track the escalating central narrative conflict across the three acts. Okay, this was a long one, so I'm not including a question today. But if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the show, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447. And leave me a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at Chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. How Story Works is a free college-level course in narrative theory and is entirely supported by listener donations. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can keep it in production and gain access to exclusive chipperish content and a community of amazing smart people. That's a hell of a bargain. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish for more information. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>